Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crimecast, a briefing featuring news, analysis, and guidance across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spoda Kindle, VP of Product Development with ACFCS, and today I'm here with a warning for all the fraud and financial crime professionals in the audience. Brace for impact. Why is that? Well, 2021 was a record-setting year for data breaches, and experience has taught us that breaches inevitably fuel a rise in identity fraud. Most of the stolen and exposed data ends up on the dark web as fodder for fraudsters and organized crime rings of all stripes. That means financial institutions will need to prepare and be ready to adapt their identity verification accordingly. Fortunately, we have an expert here to help. I'm pleased to be joined by Donna Beatty. She is the Director of Proposition Development with Refinitiv, and she's going to guide us on the evolution of identity fraud tactics that she is seeing, key points to address when building controls against identity-based attacks, and so much more. So let's get right into it. So Donna, thank you so much for being on the Financial Crimecast. It's a pleasure to have you on the program. Um, really fascinating and, and deep background in the identity uh, space and a uh, pleasure to have you talk about this topic. It's something I think uh, has been a, a, a huge struggle for the financial institutions and frankly, many of the non-financial organizations in our audience too. Um, so it's great to, great to have you here to, to shed some light on it. My pleasure. Well, let's let's jump right into it. I think um, many of our uh, listeners might have seen the headlines around identity breaches in 2021. Um, they're set a new record over the past year. Um, something one one study I read saw found close to 2,000 large scale identity breaches in 2021. You know, just as one example, there was a. Uh, a breach at T-Mobile that uh, led to the, the the exposure of 54 million T-Mobile users and their, their personally identifying information. So uh, there's just been a, a truly astonishing amount and scale of identity breaches lately. Um, tens of millions of Americans exposed just in recent years. Um, and that's not the end of the impact is just the breach itself. So let's talk about um, the downstream impact of the data breaches. What does that look like? What do you expect that to be? Um, absolutely. So first of all, you're right. There was a record number of data breaches in 2021, and each one has an incredible downstream domino effect uh, way beyond the original breach. So the impact certainly starts with the exposed data itself. Anything that's exposed via a breach becomes fair game to be sold and made available on the dark web. And once it's on the dark web, it can be used in any number of fraud schemes, ranging from takeover of financial account, um, use of stolen payments data like credit cards, uh, to application fraud schemes, meaning someone who puts in an application for a loan or healthcare benefits or insurance benefits using the stolen private information, also known as PII. Now, successfully executed, these fictitious identities um, can be used to defraud financial institutions as well as businesses and, of course, consumers, uh, all of whom share in the experience of damaging financial losses 
for the convenience of participating in the global digital marketplace at the end of the day. Um, and just to give you an idea of scale on the U.S. consumer side alone, almost half of the consumers, up to 47%, have experienced identity theft in the past two years, according to IATA. The resulting losses um, are estimated to be over $721 billion in 2021 alone, um, same source. You know, these numbers are, are rightly jarring, and they should and are unacceptable. And beyond the direct financial loss, identity theft also deteriorates trust and can cause reputational damage. So consumers won't trust the financial institutions or businesses that allowed this fraud to happen on their watch. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a really good point that this is something that I think is just systemic um, in the the scale and the scope and who it impacts. You know, you mentioned that it's it's financial institutions, yes, it's businesses, it's also individuals. Um, the individual in, impact, you know, based on those st- statistics, is uh, is tremendous, um, and it just creates incredible inefficiencies in uh, in the financials. So, uh, so you know, the data is out there. As you noted, it's it's available on the dark web for purchase. And you touched on this in the the, the previous answer. But um, let's talk a little bit more about what then a financial criminal, a fraudster, is doing with this information. Um, what types of identity fraud tactics are fraudsters employing to monetize that stolen? data because you know as you said it's not just one thing there's synthetic ids there's you know the creation of of false businesses there's um fraudulent account openings so uh, what are you seeing out there in terms of monetizing this stolen data that's a, a great great question brian and to start um that access to data gives fraudsters all kinds of opportunity uh to to enact criminal behaviors. Um, and they include a variety of increasingly sophisticated and well-organized, and in fact, very well-funded kinds of attacks. Um, and these attacks have been increasing in, in acceleration pace uh, and success rate, frankly, in the era of COVID, when more and more of our digital marketplace um, is now wholly digital uh, versus having um, brick and mortar type interactions with clients. And it's a universal impact, not just financial institutions, um, but every type of account, every type of industry. And I'll give you a few examples of some of the most common types. Um, the first one you've already mentioned in your intro, synthetic identity fraud. So this type of fraud means that a fraudster combines bits of real information together with fictitious information to create an entirely new identity. Um, And then they use that new identity with some true aspects and some made up aspects 
um, to create a new digital footprint, cultivate it um, so that they can build a synthetic identity and foster them over time to build credit, to build that digital footprint, to build a bit of a, a credit history and a trail so that once they have established it to a certain level, they can break out and start cashing out, start charging things um, using this new identity. Um, and, and, and in some cases uh, are really successful uh, in amassing great profits uh, for themselves and losses to the businesses and to the consumers. Another example is account takeover. Unless one is pretty prevalent, it's impacted over at least one third of U.S. consumers in the past two years. And this is when a fraudster impersonates a customer and obtains access to an existing real account, um, but obviously they're unauthorized for it. And they're able to do this sometimes pretty easily because a lot of our accounts today are only protected by passwords, right? Um, so once they get your password, they have your digital ID, um, they can access an account and then have a heyday doing what they wish once they're in that existing account. Um, and the fact is that both, you know, FIs, consumers, businesses in the digital marketplace, we're all relying on digital accounts uh, to interact. Um, so protecting these existing accounts is an area of increasing importance. Um, and another, you know, as part of account takeover, um, the flavor that's particularly difficult to overcome is social engineering. So this is when a fraudster may make a phone call to an unsuspecting individual and give them a reason to give them their social security number, their private information that allows them to take over an account. Um, to extract these funds um, by pretending to be their bank or pretending to be their health insurer. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's often successful. And one final example, and there are many, uh, is application fraud. And so this is, this is when the user, the fraudster, uses the stolen or fictitious private information to fill out an application. And it's usually aimed at um, obtaining money. So that's usually loans or lines of credit. Um, but it can equally be used to defraud health insurance plans or life insurance policies um, or mortgage or auto loans. The risks associated with all of these schemes and many more include obviously financial losses to all the participants in, participants in the digital marketplace, including financial institutions, businesses, out-of-pocket costs for consumers, and a significant amount of time investing, investigating and resolving every instance of fraud. Uh, so every dollar, if you will, that's lost to fraud, many, many more are spent in hours and effort in resolution. Yeah, it's a great point that, uh, you know, the losses extend far beyond the immediate 
financial impact of the fraud, you know, there's this, there's this entire hidden cost to it um, of remediation and investigation. And you know, a lot of times that's where, that's where uh, more of the, the loss can come from than even the fraud scheme. You know, it's also really interesting listening to your answer, just the, the creativity employed by the bad actors here. You know, once you have your hands on personally identifying information, you know, the short answer is there's there's a lot you can do with it. You can you can do anything that would uh, uh, be able to monetize it um, uh, that would allow you to you know pose as someone else essentially. So um, I was astonished to hear that one third of U.S. consumers are impacted by account takeover. It just seems so high, but again, it ties back into just the the sheer uh, magnitude of the data breach. Um, you know, and even even on the social engineering front, uh, I've I've seen um, instances where fraudsters will you know call someone and they'll they'll have all the information that the institution the bank might have on you, right? They have your your um, day of birth, your name, they even have your social security number in certain circumstances. They're reading this back, you know, um, in an attempt to get your one-time passcode that was sent to your phone or something like that. So um, it is indeed, as you noted, you know, very sophisticated and it's gone far beyond just the, you know, the kind of low level fraud schemes of, um, you know, stealing passwords and trying to log into accounts and that type of thing. So, And as you uh, said, very effective. You know, my nephew got a call uh, from some random um, fraudster saying, hey, you know, we've got information for you. We'd love to be able to help you if you give us these personal details. But lack of that, you'll probably be arrested at your home or at your work. Right. So they're very effective in making it sound so urgent and threatening that the the consumer, uh, the mark, if you will, is going to have a call to action uh, that they're not aware that, that this could possibly be fraud. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, it. You know, it is actually. You know, I've seen statistics on younger people. You know, in the eighteen to twenty-four demographic are are actually falling victim to fraud quite a bit. You think you know these are individuals who maybe are more experienced, more savvy online, but um, I think it does speak to. You know the fact that number one, everyone's vulnerable, um, and those these fraudsters are very can be very convincing and very effective and play on you know human fears. Um, so you know on that front, what are what are what are what is the FISI doing about it? Um, what are financial institutions doing against these fraudsters? There's been a lot of focus on mitigating identity related risk. Um, but where are the gaps? There's obviously still gaps if, if all of these account takeovers are, and other types of fraud schemes are happening. Um, so what still needs to be addressed? And is it a question of, you know, the approach is wrong, the investment is lacking, the technology is missing? Um, or is it simply the kind of whack-a-mole problem where fraud networks and fraudsters are simply just evolving faster than the controls we're putting in place? Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, great question. And the answer is all of the above. <laughs> it's about data. It's about approach. It's about technology. And it's about keeping pace with uh, with a, a set of attack vectors that continue to evolve. So on the data, obviously, private information is no longer private. 
it's available on the web and or the dark web. Social security numbers are not secret by any stretch of the imagination. And so financial institutions and anyone who has to, who offers services and products to customers need to assume that fictitious identities and fraudsters are bound to infiltrate. Um, so it's, so the trick is how do I authenticate the true identity of that consumer or that business requesting a product or service from me? And certainly on the data front, you have to start with a wealth of identity, identity data around that customer, whether it's a business customer or a consumer customer. So it starts with, with great data. Um, now, even with great data, you also have to consider the approach. Uh, you need to strengthen your customer onboarding and your credential and authentication management. Securing all of your products and services through only the use of passwords is, is generally going to be very weak uh, in today's marketplace. And even if you, you look at the latest legislation and different documents coming out of Washington, there's a move away from what they call knowledge-based authentication methods, which include different questions about your background, where you were born, um, what's your best friend's name, things that folks can find on Facebook, et cetera, as well as passwords. Again, things that are easy uh, to figure out. And once figured out, the fraudster has the keys to your life and the keys to your, your, your kingdom. Um, so the other trick here is what technology can you bring to the fore on this issue to make the experience safer for both your customers and your business? And there are a bunch of different ways to do that. You can do that with biometric technology. Uh, you can scan government IDs and you can now do um, a liveness, uh, liveness check against the picture that's on your ID. Uh, you can also begin to include other more advanced methods of technology like behavioral biometrics. So that's not the biometric of your face, it's how you use your, your keyboard, your mouse, the weight of your fingers on your mobile phone. These are things that have the advantage of not adding friction to the customer and also the advantage of being a lot tougher to try to overcome if you're a fraudster. I wouldn't recognize my own mouse patterns and key, keyboard cadence um, let alone try to figure out what that is for another client. So it is a combination of approach and use of technology. And at the end of the day, it comes down to employing multiple sources and methods. This is a, has to be a layered approach. There is not, no one and done. There is no capability that is fraudster proof. Uh, so therefore, it is about protecting businesses and consumers with multiple layers. And where you can try to do this without presenting too much additional friction for the clients um, and without, to the extent you can, using too many, too much reliance on knowledge-based authenticators. So 
the other point that you were making in your question is that fraud is evolving and it continues to evolve. Um, so today's solutions against fraud attacks work for today's attacks. Tomorrow, there'll be a new approach that the fraudsters take and we'll need to pivot and figure out new ways to counter those attacks. Um, so that's why it's important for financial institutions as well as any business in the digital marketplace to continue to keep their finger on the pulse of where the trends are, which may differ by industry sector, and always be looking for new ways to protect, not just relying on the things that they've used for the last five or 10 years or even two years, um, with the goal of protecting clients, protecting firms, um, and hopefully doing so without adding too much undue friction to the customer experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the friction point is really is, is very valid um, because you don't want to just keep good customers out while potentially not actually putting things in place that stop fraudsters, which, you know, which can occur. Um, but, you know, you don't want to keep good customers out, period. And, you know, the, the reality is that particularly during the pandemic, everyone has gotten very used to these kind of seamless digital financial services. And so you do need to find ways uh, to, to deliver that experience. Um, and I think, you know, you made a really good point that there's not necessarily like a silver bullet here, right? There's not the one approach that is going to, to do this. Um, it is very much a layered approach. You know, I saw, I've read recently an, an article about um, someone who evaded the liveness checks by wearing wigs um, or holding up fake driver's license and still manages to pass uh, KYC at an institution. So um, uh, there are waves around just about everything, but if you're implementing multiple layers, that's where you can, you can kind of pick off some of these, these, uh, these attacks that do, um, that do target your specific layers. So, um, so yeah, great points in there and great point about, you know, the layered, the layered approach. So I think we, we maybe touched on this already in the, in the, the last question, but you've had a, you've had an extensive experience in this space. Um, you have been at a financial institution. Um, you have advised financial institutions, currently advise financial institutions in your role. Um, so what are some things that you, you know, address in terms of, when you are advising an institution on how to protect themselves and their customers against identity-based attacks? What are some of kind of the key things that you look at? It's a great question and it's a multifaceted one. Um, and I would, I would say that this, this same advice and approach would go to any business that's protecting their business against fraud, right? Um, so the first thing is to step back and identify your client audience. What kind of clients do you have? Protecting the identity of consumers, it's a slightly different nut to crack than protecting the identity of businesses. So are you B2B, are you B2C, are you both? Uh, most businesses tend to be both because guess what? In order to provide their products and services, they're often contracting to other businesses around the world, right? So you know, part of it is understanding who your target audience is, identifying the industry sectors, because guess what? Fraud patterns and attack vectors also vary 
if you're talking about financial fraud versus insurance fraud versus travel versus healthcare, um, e-pharma, uh, government, all of these sectors have nuances that can become quite important when it comes to figuring out the, the profile to protect themselves from their clients and their business. It also has to do with jurisdictional scope, um, both the laws, the regs, and the attack vectors can change based on different jurisdictions around the, the world. Um, you also need to understand within the context of your particular clients, what your use cases are and what you're trying to optimize for. Now, financial institutions have an advantage or you can call it a disadvantage in that they have to be well along this curve because they're legally and uh, regulatory uh, compliance obliged to protect their clients, whether they're consumers or businesses. Um, but even within them, they may have certain priority for use cases for their business, like they want to make their onboarding process more efficient. They want to change from a three-day process to a five-minute onboarding process. Um, they want to maybe use ID Federation with existing business and consumer logins rather than issuing new credentials. Um, maybe they want to reduce the cost of their regulatory and legal compliance, right? So one as a business needs to understand, you know, what are they trying to prioritize uh, in putting a solution in place? And in some cases, there might be a particular type of fraud um, that they're struggling with. I know for financial institutions, one of the more challenging ones is called business email compromise. So when I was at JP Morgan, that would be me receiving an email that looks from every way I can look at it that it came from Jamie Dimon. And Jamie says, you know, looked on, I know I don't usually ask you to do this, but can you send 2 million bucks to the Cayman Islands, right? You know, there's a, you have to really look at that hard to see, you know, gee, if this is really from Jamie, I should do this right away, right? But, you know, you have to question where things are coming from and decide uh, if it's, that's a legitimate thing to do. It's, it's kind of like fishing and ambition for on the consumer side. Um, so there might be certain threat factors that are becoming you know, more and more of a, a risk to a business that they want to focus in on because they have they have losing a lot of money on a particular fraud vector. And then they want to clarify their outcomes, right? Do they want to, if I'm an e-commerce site, um, Amazon, or I'm a real estate flight, uh, site, or I'm a gambling website, I hate it when people get halfway through and then they just stop, right? They didn't sign up for my service. They didn't pay me anything. Um, so maybe that's my focus, you know, for the, for this current year. Um, I also want to avert fraud without increasing false rejection rates. Now you mentioned this before, right? I want to protect myself, but I don't want to piss off clients who are legitimate, who I just turned down from a business or a, a service, uh, because I was being too conservative in my, my security and my identity protections. Um, I might want to, I have regulatory compliance, but I want to reduce the cost of it. I want to reduce my vendor management uh, required to do that. 
And do I want to gain a competitive edge? I want to do something better than my peers in my industry, whether I'm a financial institution or e-commerce or healthcare, by providing better protection and giving my clients more trust and confidence that their, their data is not going to be breached uh, if they take products and services from me. And then, of course, having set out what your objectives and priorities are, it's to assess your execution readiness. You know, where are your gaps? And you will probably have a combination, just like we spoke on the last question, of data gaps, technology gaps, um, and approach gaps that need to be to filled in, uh, and possibly all of those. Um, what is your compliance regulatory provisions and how do you make sure you continue to adhere to those as you change your approach and your data and making sure that everything that you do obviously is scalable, robust and, and, and agile. Um, so I think it's, it's a multifaceted problem and it's not a one size fits all, even in the financial industry sector. Uh, it's all about figuring out where you are, figuring out where you need to go, what problems you need to focus on, and then finding the solution partners or the technology or the processes in order to execute against those, knowing that it's never gonna be a one size fits all. It's gonna be have to be agile. It's gonna have to meet the emerging and evolving threat vectors coming into the digital marketplace. Um, so I would, it's more, a longer answer that you may have wanted, but it isn't a simple thing, even for financial institutions that you know are well practiced in this space because of our current regulatory and legal obligations. Yeah, yeah, no, it was an it was an excellent answer, and I think it just speaks to you know how thoughtful and deliberative and continuous this process has to be of uh, of combating the emerging fraud threats and you know there's there's never the uh you know the easy answer oh you know you just do this you turn on this one control and then you're all set right so um so it is you know it is a it is a very much a um you know a, a constant process of reviewing where your gaps are seeing what's new and and developing those new controls around it so um i think you did an excellent job kind of summing that up so let's close out by talking about um, Refinitiv itself. You know, we've talked about kind of the general framework you need and the approach you need, but but what is Refinitiv doing? Um, uh, for especially for those listeners who you know may not be familiar with your your uh, services and your approach, tell tell us how Refinitiv is helping firms to mitigate identity risk um, and what listeners should know about what you're doing. Um, great question and. Uh, Refinitiv is actually not a very well-known brand, but has been quietly uh, very successful in this space, growing 50% a year or more for the last several years. And, and it does that by offering a complete set of solutions that address the, this life cycle that our businesses and, and uh, FIs have to address in the fraud space. So that would include enrollment, onboarding, account opening, payments, identity, um, and compliance and regulatory screening and solutions. And 
Refinitive Hat does this through a platform with a single API interface. So clients can continue to grow their use of the services as their needs grow. So as they have new requirements because they're growing into new regions, as they have new requirements because they're seeing additional fraud patterns that they've never seen before and they don't quite know how to, how to attack them. Um, Refinitive, because it's been in this business for so many years, has a fantastic legacy of data and approach and results that we use to the benefit of all of our clients. We also represent a, a very complete foundation of data assets. And as, as you know very well, identity is it's data, right? At the end of the day, it's just data. Um, and data is what can be wrong and inaccurate and could lead to some of these vulnerabilities uh, that make businesses and consumers uh, victim to attacks. Um, and what, what Refinitiv does, it has a massive database of multiple sources and methods. And if you read some of the well-known identity literature from industry groups, from standards groups, um, from the Financial Action Task Force, from even the United Nations, you'll see a common theme of the most effective way to reduce fraud is to have a multiplicity of sources and methods, just as we spoke about for multiple sources and methods for authentication and identity assurance. That is the, that's the secret sauce at the end of the day. So what Refinitiv does is it very aggressively and continually goes after new data sources and keeps them updated and monitored um, using both traditional and non-traditional uh, sources, public and private sources, to give our clients a multi-dimensional view of all of their data for their clients, whether their clients are consumers or businesses or both, including information about payment accounts and you know screening risks for things like OFACT. Um, that is, I think, at the end of the day, the keys to the kingdom of what Refinitiv brings to the table. And the way Refinitiv does this through the single API, we're able to choose the best in the business of the fintech behind the scenes, the different sources as they change, because sometimes sources dry up. So, you know, today utility companies can be a source of the real and true physical address of you, Brian. Um, but utility companies in the US have just decided, you know, based on that some of the information got leaked and fraudsters took advantage of it, that they won't be doing that anymore. So again, because we're finna have multiple sources, we have the means of getting that information anyway. Um, and then when it comes to phone numbers and email addresses, we won't just give you, this is the most recent one, we'll give you the last 10. We, the idea is to give you data and then businesses can decide what to do on that data. So it's all about providing data and insights so that businesses can make judicious decisions about whether to end an enrollment or transaction, stop it, or 
very often just putting putting in an additional authentication step, whether that's sending an SMS or an email with a one-time PIN or doing some, you know, voice or facial biometric or or doing some behavioral analysis or geolocation analysis to see if the patterns that we're seeing from this consumer business is consistent with the patterns that we've seen in the past. It's all about data at the end of the day. It's simple, but it's complicated, but it's about data. And that's what Refinitive does really, really, really well. Um, and the other thing that's happened in the last year is Refinitive was, required, was acquired by the London Stock Exchange. So now we're even bigger and better. We have more access to data and technology from around the world that includes London Stock Exchange who also use these very same services. So we eat our own dog food, right? If you will, we drink our own Kool-Aid. We know that our solutions work because we use them um, for, for London Stock Exchange for starters, but for many, for many different industries, we have a footprint across financial, insurance, e-commerce, um, wealth management, you name it. Um, we do have a, quite a broad industry sector base, including real estate, health. Uh, I don't think you can name one where we don't have, we're not serving clients today in this manner. Um, so using, in essence, using Refinitive and our products, at the end of the day, we can offer a better, faster, safer customer experience, while also giving our clients the very best tools that were always changing behind the scenes. They don't have to do anything to get the best tools to reduce fraud, to minimize or avert losses and protect both our client firms and, and their clients, whether they're businesses or consumers. Great. Thank you for that. And yeah, I mean, it sounds like that old, uh, I forget, I forget what commercial is from, but I remember a commercial from when I was younger where the, the guy would come out and say, I'm not just the president, I'm a customer. So, <laughs> it's a, so, so yeah. similar to that one. Um, but no, I mean, it, it is, it's absolutely true that it is about, you know, the data um, and the ability to pull together, you know, increasingly, large and diverse sets of data to validate customer identity is just incredibly powerful um, and can get over so many of these obstacles that we've outlined on this, this, in this conversation. So, uh, so it's great to, to, you know, see and hear how Refinitive is doing that for so many different types of industries. Um, well, we are we are unfortunately at time in this conversation. It's been a real pleasure um, exploring this subject with you, Donna. And uh, it's such an exciting and fast-changing field that uh, hopefully we'll be able to do it again sometime soon. So thanks so much for, uh, for uh, championing the fight against identity fraud. Um, and thank you for being on the Financial Crimecast. Always my pleasure. It's my favorite topic. So anytime, and I hope it's useful and um, happy to help on any follow-ups that may come out of this. Excellent. 
And thanks to our listeners out there. Uh, thank you for being a part of the AECFCS community. And just as a reminder, you can find the Financial Grimecast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, many other places where your favorite podcast lives. So thanks again for uh, tuning in and look forward to having you join us on the next episode of the Financial Grimecast. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you.